0: of the Pixel Royal show where we discuss the most frustrating basketball team in the NBA, your Washington Wizards. Hello everyone, this is Adam McGinnis, it is February 21st, 2016, cloudy, gloomy day here in the nation's capital here on a Sunday. We did experience uh, a very nice spring-like weather on, uh, on Saturday, almost 70 degrees, so there's your weather update. But let's talk about your Washington Wizards. They are currently 25-29. and 29. They lost last night in Miami. Uh, they won against Detroit on Friday night and won against Utah on Thursday. So the three straight games that were coming out of the All-Star break, 2 on one not too bad. Uh, disappointing loss in Miami last night, but it was kind of... To be expected considering you playing three, three games in a row and having to travel to, uh, to South Florida from DC. But with me today, uh, this man is, is, let's see, we go back a long time. I don't know how much introduction I should, should go. All you two, uh, everyone should know. All Wiz fans should know who he is. Uh, found, founder of Bill's Forever, currently a SB Nation NBA editor. Uh, he was not moved at the trade di- deadline for, from what I, from my knowledge. Uh, Mr. Mark Prada. Mike, how are you, man? I'm good, Adam. How are you? Uh, do, doing
1: well. Uh, how how are things up there at, uh, in NYC? You know, it, I was telling you this before we got on. It's almost like New York City is the weather. It's five degrees colder, but the same as D.C. So, you know, it was pretty nice yesterday. Uh, a little cloudy and a little colder today. But, you know, things are pretty good. And we're ready for the stretch run. I think uh, getting past the trade deadline is always a kind of relief up here because we kind of can relax a little bit until the playoffs begin.
0: J- Jim, I, I don't think I've actually talked to you since you got married. Uh, congratulations. Uh, how, how is, uh, well, thank how, you. I yeah, appreciate I, that. I, I remember when you got engaged, but I, I, when you got married this summer? In the fall? I, uh, in October. October, October fall. Yeah. Yes. It's before
1: the season. How, so how's married life? Uh, how are things? Uh, things are good, Yeah, It's not so different. I think everybody tells me it, it only really changes once you get kids. Before then, it's kind of if you live together with the person you married, which we did, then it's pretty much the same after you get married. It's only once you start having kids that things really start to change.
0: Yeah, shit, shit gets real when that when that happens. I, I agree. Yeah, from from my friends and family members, I, I definitely would concur with that that observation. Well, speaking of the deadline, we'll get into the deadline, but let's start with the Washington Wizards. You, I, the first time I've had you on the season on the on the podcast this season, every new guest. That have ties to this team, I ask them the same first question, just your overall feelings
1: of this season so far. Yeah, it's been a little frustrating, right? I mean, this was supposed to be the year they would take the next step, uh, and instead they're out of the playoff picture right now. They have been really uneven, following great wins with really difficult losses. This transition into a more up-tempo style has been a little bit rushed, a little bit inconsistent. I think uh, they have struggled to pick up The theory was sound, but I think the execution was not, and they've had some injuries. You know, there is still time to to rescue the season, but the East is better. There are a lot of teams they have to jump, and there isn't all that much time. I know they have an easy schedule against teams record-wise, but they do have a lot of games. You know, three games and three nights, you know, the, the winning percentage, combined winning percentage of the teams they have played doesn't account for kind of the travel element of it and the road trips it got to take. So I think even now making the playoffs is going to be an uphill climb. You look at Detroit and what they did. I know they beat Detroit over the weekend. That's a formidable, formidable team. Chicago was struggling but they just picked up a big win against Toronto. They're going to be in the picture. Charlotte looks really good right now. Indiana just won out off on the city. They're not going to be easy teams to jump. So I mean, definitely a frustrating year so far. And what, what do you think the cause of the frustration is? You uh, you
0: mentioned injuries, How much, and you mentioned the new system. Should both of those be culpable, or is this just a disappointing performance by the players and the coaches as well? I,
1: and it's all of that, right? I mean, I think that's definitely what it is. I, the injury excuse goes so far. I don't think it goes as far as the Wizards may think it goes, because even when they were fully healthy, they were struggling. They were playing uneven ball. They follow up that win over the Spurs with... Know, bad losses and blowout, blowouts. So uh, even when they're healthy, they're having problems. I think there was some rockiness to be expected when you go from a team that was so ground in town and built on kind of interior defense to a more up tempo style that worked in the playoffs. There's always going to be some nature of a transition, but I, I think early on they emphasized, I would say, the pace element more than the space element, and I think that at their average level on defense. You really have to build a totally different scheme when you don't have those two big guys kind of in the paint protecting the rim, and that's been, I expected a lot more a better of a transition there, and I also, frankly, expected a little bit better defensive effort from John Wall early in the year. I think only recently as he started to pick it up, and I do think that there's something to the idea that your best player sets the tone and everybody else follows. And while I think John Wall is had a big offensive year, I think defensively he has slipped. And I don't think it's coincidence that the rest of the team has slipped defensively as well. Yeah, to me, the, the transition to
0: the new style, a slippage in defense could be expected, but it completely bottoming out has been the defining characteristic of this team to go from elite defense to one of the worst in the NBA. You're – and I thought it's maybe it always has been start with the head of John Wall and this, uh, and you know, the tail of Nene and Gortot. And those haven't, you know, those two, Nene had been out with injuries and those two haven't been able to play from style, style, style purposes, which I actually agree with personally. But what do you make of the defense just falling apart where all of a sudden teams are just lighting them up on three point, uh, line there for like a month or on pace
1: for like one of the worst defenses ever? <laughs> Yeah, I think some of it has to do with, you know, we talk about overemphasizing pace. I mean, these guys are playing faster and more. They're running to the floor harder. They've got to kind of play more possessions and in a more ragged style. And I think that does affect your lighting on defense. I think a lot of what we've seen with these open looks and these kind of back cuts on these box switches is to some degree fatigue and mental fatigue, physical fatigue. I think that has taken its toll. And I also just think that they are gambling more, and they're having to kind of jump, jump switch and do this jump coverage more because they don't have, they're not building from the inside out and with the head of the snake kind of being uh, as he was last year. I think that has affected the way that they have executed their scheme. I'm a little disappointed as good as Otto Porter has been offensively recently, I think defensively. He's the best parameter defender in the starting lineup, and unless Temple is playing, and that, I don't think he's quite made that step, and that has been an issue. Uh, so that, and then not having Allen Anderson has been an issue for defense, defensive purposes, I think he would have been one of their top defenders. Uh, and then you talk about, look, Jared Dudley has been great this year, but uh, he do give up rebounding when he's in the game, so that's another area where he's struggling. I think the biggest reason Outside of kind of any schematic change, it's just that they're, they're, they're mentally fatigued on defense by trying to play fast. And I think only recently have they started to kind of tone that back a little bit. And I do think there's been some nice defensive improvement outside out of the All-Star break that I would be very encouraged by. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll get into those those games. First, of all, what
0: was your opinion of just the style change, them going to the the smaller ball? For, you know, for the success they had they had in the postseason, and it looked like that's where the NBA was moving. We were all excited about it, and it just didn't seem to work out for them, even though I don't think it was a wrong move, per se. No,
1: I think the theory was sound and the execution was flawed. I think that's really what it comes down to. I mean, it's not just – you can't just, like, kind of play small and shoot threes. It's not really about that. It's about – opening up driving lanes, it's about, you know, they, you start to get it and they talk about how this offense is going to be pick-up the principles. I think that was the quote that was given. And, you know, when you watch, say, the Warriors play, it sort of looks like pick-up principles, but there's a very strong, I think, philosophy of backing kind of, you know, key tenants of that offense that they have mastered and now gone onto another plane. And it, it felt like a lot of the time the Wizards get that step. You know, you have to have certain things that you're trying to do. You have to have some actions. You have to really – it's not as big a transition as I think it may have made to be. You're kind of extending some of your sets up in a different way. And instead, it was such an – off they, they treated it as such an overhaul in the training camp, you know, where you got these little boxes where you can't stand and you have to push off makes. And I think they, they, they kind of brought it in a little too quickly. And then I think, you know, first in the first month of the season, Chris Humphrey they had Chris Humphrey starting a power throw and shooting the ball. I don't think that's really his strength. I think that hurt them. And then when you kind of introduce all of that change offensively, you tend to slip in some of the more fundamental areas you have, like your defense. I don't think they really practiced it at a training camp, and I think they were tired. So, it's a very sound theory and I, I just think that it was maybe it was boss execution wise. It was you know, there's also do you remember the report in training camp that you know John John Wall was saying that they didn't know that they were gonna do this drastic style change until they got in. That sure. to me, if that's really the case, that to me is a a, a breakdown and I think that has caused it. So it's just too much too soon I think is what kinda caused yeah, you know, and also just kind of treating it as if it's this this humongous change when really I don't think it's like a huge change to, to kind of play more open to kind of move more to play with pace in the half court. And what I mean by that is you're cutting hard, you're running hard, you're you're making quick decisions. I don't think that's really that requires such a significant kind of talk of a big change. And yes, it was sort of treated that way, and I think that is what caused them to struggle so much out of the gate. And John even, John even
0: John even alluded that to me before uh, the the season when I asked him about the transition to the offense, and he was like, "Well, you know, you just make a couple cuts and reads. I mean, it's not like it's some huge huge thing." He was just saying, you know, just more about getting in shape. But it seemed like to really affect him on the defensive end. But but what I what I've what I've noticed uh, of these these games. Especially the first two, uh, we'll get into the Miami one, but they come back and they, they, they play Utah at home, the makeup game from the snow out in January from the snow, snow, the snow, uh, Zilla, snowzilla, I think they were calling it. Uh, they won 103 to 89 against Utah on Thursday night and they come back the next night at the Verizon Center and beat Detroit 98 to 86. And the, the constant things of both of those games to me where they jumped on them defensively and got them out of sync and just kind of, took care of business from the jump, which we have not seen this team do uh, that well this season, especially at home. What did you
1: see out of those two victories from the Wizards? I think you hit it on the nose. The defense was much better. And I think the big key is, if you're not going to have as much size inside, you're not going to play kind of conservatively to conference funnel people to there. You've got to be a lot better with your ball pressure. You've got to be over these, all over these guys. Your guards really have to fight a little more over the top of these screens. And that's what I think you saw in the Utah and Detroit games. Uh, and In Detroit's case, I think very much also you're having wings kind of chipping down into passing lanes, you know, helping off non-shooters. I thought that was a real key to that game. And I think we we talked about it earlier. It starts with John Wall. He's the best player. He's got to set the tone. Cliche, I know, but I think there's something to that. And in these those two home games, I thought he was really aggressive on the ball, particularly against Reggie Jackson. And I think that really made a big difference. You know, it, it kind of starts to scramble the game a little bit. And if you are going to play small and with a lot of wings, that that is kind of the goal. And they were able to do that against two teams that admittedly, I think, don't have great shooting that maybe could take advantage of it. And I think Utah is actually ranked pretty highly off in offense. But they are, they do kind of miss that flat shooter that uh, could really scrape the floor. But I think that was a huge key. And that, again, that's been missing all year. I think that's been, they've tried to do too much junk stuff. And, you know, at a certain point, you've got to take some accountability at the point of attack. And I think that's what they did. And ultimately, that made the life easier for the bigs. That kind of allows them to be in better defensive rebounding position. I think one of the reasons they have struggled on the glass is that they're just all scrambled. There's no way to box out when you're closing out all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not necessarily because they have bad rebounders. It's just they're kind of scrambled all over the court trying to plug gaps and fill holes from the penetration they allow all much less of that, and I think that starts with the guards, and I think you saw that in the last two games. If they can keep that up, I think that's very encouraging.
0: Definitely, I did see Porter fronting very well, Temple, Bradley in the passing lanes, a lot of deflections. Utah looked really out of sync. They had maybe four or five turnovers that were just completely unforced, but there was a lot of ones that weren't, and also, Gortat on Drummond was huge. I was at the game on Friday night. I covered it and wrote about it, and and for the second time this year, you know, their first matchup was, you know, way back in early November. So some some of that doesn't play as well currently. But Drummond, who leads the NBA in in offensive rebounding, was held to no offensive rebounds for the second series game. And I didn't really even notice him at all. Uh, in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah,
1: he, he struggled a little bit recently. But I, I, that was a great feat by the Wizards, for sure. And I think that goes back to a couple things. One, like I was saying, they they sort of pinched off non shooters and so Gortat did a great job, but it was a gang effort, I think. And they were able to do that because they, for the most part, I think Reggie Jackson did not really get too many opportunities where he just went right by a Wall and drew a defender. I think he was kind of Wall was on his hip a lot. And I think the other thing too is that if you're not having to make so many rotations, you just it's much easier to box out. It's much easier to find the guy and, and gang rebound and. That's what happened with the Wizards on, on Friday night. I think you know Gortat did a great job, but I think it was a team effort.
0: But but even but even in the Wizards' wins, like say Sixers a couple weeks ago, or you know, the, or the or the Boston loss that was close that went to overtime that that was up and down. The Wizards has these leads and they let them evaporate or let a team go back into it. It's kind of sluggish. And in these two victories, they did not at all. There's, there was never real a serious threat whatsoever in the fourth quarter of both of these victories.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, look, they play like that the rest of the year. They're going to make the playoffs be dangerous, and hopefully they can keep that up.
0: So so we go to Miami, uh, Somehow, on the schedule. Now, I don't know why the Wizards – I mean, I get why they made this game up on a Thursday. It seems kind of unfair that <laughs> the Wizards were forced to play yeah. three games in a row, that there wasn't another night on the schedule. You know, be a couple of weeks they'll have two days off. I mean, you know, Utah is tough because, you know, you are only having one more game of Utah. Utah is traveling from across the country. I, don't know. I just think it's fair to play three straight games.
1: Well, I think also the the, the, the uh, Verizon Center hosts a really good hockey team as well. To, can that's I true. Count and some counts, concerts, so, some concerts too. A hockey team that is, that's that's going to be playing probably in April and deep into April, May, and June, hopefully. Oh, let's hope, let's hope, Mike. They better.
0: <laughs> Let me knock on wood. <laughs> but,
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... I think that had something to do with it as well. Plus, you said earlier, Utah, it's hard for them to take, like, a one-game trip to your East. You know, if it was another East team, maybe they could have figured something else out. So they
0: go into, they go into Miami. Miami is playing without Bosh, without Dwayne Wade. And the Wizards, pretty much, their legs were gone in the first quarter. The jumpers, the rim seemed, they got a lot of bad rolls in and out. They couldn't buy some buckets. And then it was just over. Miami built a 15, 20-point lead and pretty much cruised throughout.
1: What did you see of that game last night? Yeah, I don't think there's much to take away. It was a schedule off. Uh, Miami has actually played quite well, I think, without lane Wade. They just won in Atlanta the night before, and that was a night that even happened on Hassan white side that night. Obviously, the Whiteside white side was dominant on Saturday against the Wizards. I believe he was, what, he yeah, had 25 points and 20 rebounds? Oh god. Like that. Ridiculous. Yeah, he was, he was dominant. So look, it's a schedule loss. I think there were a lot of plays where they were a step slow, kind of making the rotation they needed to make. They obviously, you talked about, they missed a lot of open shots. I, I don't think there's much to say from that game. You know, it's just very tough when you need to play a third in a row and you're traveling. My, my my main criticism
0: of that game when I was watching it live and freaking out with I think only five people on Twitter who were watching that game last night on Wizard's Twitter yeah. was was it was third quarter and and you're going, all right, this game's over. Everyone watching it knows it's done, this team's not coming back. Clear the bench. You played three games in a row, give Eddie some run, give Ube some run, find out you know, get Sessions some elongated run. Get good in play who has not played that much. Get the guys that haven't played and just bench Wall and Beal. And for some reason, Whitman does not do that. There's a timeout. They're still down 20 with six minutes left. He puts them back in, in the fourth quarter, and then he finally takes them out with four minutes. I know that's not that big of a deal, but for some reason, you know, any other coach would have, just, would have seen that. For some reason, he didn't do it. It drives me nuts. You and you know as well as I know that you can't even ask him that question after the game. Or even tomorrow at the press availability, if I said, "Hey, why, why, why didn't you play Ubre more? Arrest John," you know, in a blowout. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Or I'm gonna say, well, you know, whatever. You know the Whitman, Whitmanisms. But, but that was my yeah. criticism of him last night. Did you see? What did you think of that? What did you think of that?
1: Well, he put Oubre well, in in the end of the first half. He picked up, what, 3 fouls? Yes, yes, that's 30 right. <laughs> 30 seconds. So, I, you know, I think I can understand the reluctance to put Kelly back into the game after that. How about just clearing the bench
0: and the game's over? Just, you know, doing what Popovich would have done or, or, you know, even certain other coaches, I think, would have just been like, all right, this game's lost. Three, It's a schedule loss, like you said, and just roll with some other players. See, see what else you got. I don't know. I, to rest, yeah, to rest, Wall and Beal.
1: I think in general this issue is a little overblown, just because you don't know. It, it's not clear like what kind of rest you do between games, and we're talking what the difference of two minutes. I think it's ultimately not. I know over the season. Oh, I know, I'm, ta- but I'm but talking. I about, have- I'm talking about
0: bishop in the third quarter, like fifteen. Like not even playing
1: Wall and Beal in the fourth at all. Right, I mean they were okay. They were still kind of in the game until what was it a fourth, fifteen point game entering the fourth quarter? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I mean that's doable. I think it's hard for me to get too words up about
0: that. Okay. All right. Well, well, thanks for talking me down. I appreciate I, I appreciate being talked down, Mike. <laughs> I, I love reason and logic. That's why I have you on. Well, let's go to <laughs> let's go to the trade deadline, which you discussed. Just your before we get into the Wizards move, what was your overall feelings of of you know your your beat? is the NBA, just your takes of of the trade deadline as it passed. And I mean, I guess winners or losers are kind of, it's hard to say winners or losers until it all plays out, but with just your overall feeling of how things transpired.
1: Yeah, I think the market got chilled because for two reasons. One is that everybody's kind of scared of the Warriors. So, you know, in the past, how many teams really could say that they were like one player away from something from really having a chance? I don't think there's anyone really out there that can say that. I mean, they, maybe Oklahoma City, but the Warriors are so dominant that, like, why are we throwing away some big parts of the future? For some of these, like, contenders, why would they throw that away when they kind of are already feeling like they don't have much of a shot? So I think that's still the market. I also think that, there's summers that the summer's demands have chilled the market. Expiring contracts are worth nothing this year because everybody has cap room. So that's a huge currency of movement, and that's it's actually kind of got flipped on its head a little bit. Now, if you have two years left on your contract, you're more valuable. You know, if you're Tobias Harris, you've got three and a half years at fifteen million per, which, you know, for an average starter, is going to make around that at this point. That makes you valuable. And in the Wizards case, if you're Mark Keith Morrison, you're, you're making half of that for the same amount of time. I mean, that makes you very valuable in that sense. I mean, we can talk about Morris in a bit. But it almost just flipped on its head. So I think it's not terribly surprising that there weren't any teams that I would say made very big moves. I mean, if you look at the total amount of movement, it was probably right in line with what it usually is. But I don't think there was any a players really traded, except for Harris, I suppose. Uh, I think that some teams, I'm a little surprised that Atlanta didn't blow up what they have. I feel like they're kind of floundering a little bit. And, I mean, I understand that. That's a market where it's tough to rebuild. They have a coach who's also a GM, so he has, he's thinking about the right now. And, but I just think that this was a chance to kind of recoup the asset chamber and start to kind of think for your foreigners out. You know, re- recognizing where you are, you have no real chance. Now try to get something for Jeff Keegan, Al while you can. It sounds like they're asking for the moon, and nobody's going to give up the moon for those players, so. I think that, that they missed an opportunity there, and I think maybe in a couple of years they're going to kick themselves for it. That's kind of really my only two uh, non- wizards kind of thoughts that really resonate with me on this trade deadline. Yeah, I was
0: listening to Zach Lowe's podcast the other day, and he he basically said how the league is essentially a summer league now. Like the big moves happen in the summer because of all the yeah. kind, of, kind of the reasons you laid out how things have changed were in the past, and how the and since and his thing his take was was how last year was so crazy, right? That this year wasn't as crazy, and so then people think that something was off about it, but but it's just kind of a different,
1: yeah. different league now. Well, I, I just think it's, it was more normal this year. I think yeah. well, last year you had the Dragon situation that what used for that that late trade with Milwaukee, Philly, and Phoenix, and Boston, and all that. You know, you didn't really have a situation like that where there's this one guy. I don't think, you know, Dwight Howard is, was perhaps that guy this year, and no nobody willing to give up a lot for him at this stage of his career within capacity of the agent. You know, it's just he's not nearly as valuable as Braggs was last year. It's amazing to hear to think that, but it's true. You know, especially you know with the cap something. So with Howard not moving, I think that held up a lot of things, and that's why you got the deadline he Got
0: how about Ryan Anderson? Him not moving it seemed like his name was all over the place, and then he didn't go anywhere.
1: Well, I, I think it's the same thing as like Howard. If you're if you're another team, let's say you're um hey, hell, let's say you're the Wizards. This is a, out of curiosity, right? You have two options. You have the option to go after Ryan Anderson, who is a free agent next year. Let's say that the cost is fairly similar. You know, you're probably giving up that that pick next year. You know, why would you choose Ryan Anderson, who is a free agent, who's about to get massively overpaid, I think, relative to his contributions? I mean, he could get $20 million a year this summer for four years. I mean, that's a humongous contract. He doesn't defend. Great offensive player. Probably a better player than Marquis Morris, but not by significantly much. So if you're the Wizards, why are you going to make a trade for Ryan Anderson for the right to give him way too much money next summer? Why would you give up a lot for that when you could get someone who's on contract for three more years at eight million per? You know, it's a no brainer, and that's why that's why he didn't get traded. Nobody's nobody's willing to give up a lot for a $9. rental. You don't want to give up. You
0: don't want to give up a bunch of assets for a rental, and then have to give him eighty to hundred million bucks, right? Right. <laughs> he's either a rental or he's
1: overpaid next year. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's not that's not a appealing option. You know, now I, I suppose you could wonder if maybe New Orleans should have just settled for like two second rounders just so that they got something back. But, you know, if that's all you're going to get, I mean, what's the point of trading Ryan Anderson? Dude, that is true. Well, this is a Wizards podcast, so let
0: us segue into the Washington move. They trade Chris Humphries, DeWan Blair, and a protected first-round pick in this year's draft for Markeith Morris, who's under contract. For the next three years, uh, at, it looks like, I think it's like seven to eight million a year. Your initial, before yeah. we get into analyzing the trade, just your initial feelings of the move when you, when you saw it.
1: Well, I was, I didn't want them to do anything because I was, I don't like, I'm afraid they're good at, like, bad money what's the playbook? for? They're chasing something elusive and sacrificing a future, to future and Good money you know, after bad good money wanted. after bad Mike. Good money after bad. Good money after bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're chasing good money after bad. I was I was a little reluctant for them to do anything. I just thought you know I'd understand that it's potentially really bad if they miss the playoffs, but you know, I didn't want them I kinda of wanted them to reset the summer. You know, to let let it play out and see what happens. You might make the playoffs anyway. And now you're, you're not out for your assets. So, but they didn't do that. So, my initial reaction was I was a little, I was a little disappointed. I think, uh, when you, one of the things that makes this trade very interesting is there are a lot of things to consider. Uh, for one, you, the first round pick you lose, you know, it, it's, it's an open question how much that asset matters. Now, I think it matters quite a bit. I think a good organization will trust its drafting ability. I think the cost control of a first round pick in the future, in this year, their rookie scale stays the same while the rest of the cap jumps, so that makes them proportionally more valuable. Of course, people say this is a bad draft, so maybe that balances it out, but to me, I think that's a r- relatively significant asset this year, just because of the proportional cost control. Now, on the, on the flip side, Marquise Morris is on a great contract. It's not like they, they traded for Ryan Anderson. Marquise Morris, is at a great number. $8 million is basically a mid-level contract in this new climate. Maybe less. And he's you know, young. And, and young, he's young. And he's 26, crazy.
0: too. And he's 26,
1: he's, Mike. He's not, he's not young, but he's not old. He's yes, like, he's, yes. He's
0: 26. Young, yes. Young-ish. Yeah. He's not like 30,
1: 31. He's not right? young, but yeah. he's, not like, he's not like 20. He's not 29. What's was Ryan Anderson at this point. He's probably about the same age. Yeah. I can't think of it off the top of my head. And he's got a good contract. And, you know, they, they need a player that can play the four and the five, that can, you know, soak up minutes there. They need they could use a guy to, to score the ball on the block. Morris is, you know, a character risk, obviously. <laughs> and that's a big concern. Even on the court, he's a little bit of an enigma. I mean, there have been stretches where he looks like he's a really, really great Versatile, modern four, you know, can swing up. He's a guy that can do a lot of things. And then there are, there are stretches where he doesn't do what he should be doing. I mean, there are bad habits he falls into. So, it's a very, it's an interesting trade from that standpoint. Like, what Marquise Morris are you getting? I think is a really interesting question. And that's not just what kind of, what kind of, you know, mental state and kind of well-being he's in, given how he sulked and Phoenix, all the the simple assault charges and all that. It's also like, what is he going to be willing to devote himself to on the court? And I think that's a tough one to answer. Yeah,
0: to me, the off court stuff, the one that stands out the most to me is the, the still the legal, you know, the legal matter pending. And and, and, yeah. to, and to, to, to sign up for that, I, I talked to a son's blogger. I believe actually an SB Nation blogger, and he said that they're appealing it to the Phoenix Supreme Court or the Arizona State Supreme Court to try to get a grant new grand jury. Which sounds to me that that is not going to happen, right? And that and so that this will go on. I did talk to another uh, another reporter the other day. He said that supposedly one of the, the witnesses has recanted. I don't know how if that's just Mark Keefe's side of the story. Once again, that that stuff will play out, but he's been indicted for a charge and for an organization who has been adamant about not bringing this type of off the court kind of troubles in after after you know all went down with the Gilbert the end of the Gilbert Arenas era. It seems very questionable that, that they kind of overlooked this on this.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know if they overlooked not mind. overlooked it, it but does, Medina, it wasn't it a. Decided
0: it wasn't a deciding factor like other organizations it might have been,
1: right? I certainly didn't wasn't well, a deal breaker. I suppose. Yes. Yes. Saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly I, that that is a when you consider kind of where this team is. It to me that that is definitely a risk. I mean, I think the Wizards would say that the risk is mitigated because one, they have a couple of his former teammates there. You know, yes. Jared Dudley and Martin Gortat, and they vouch for him, and they can kind of maybe it's a much more stable environment. I mean, you look at Phoenix; a lot of players have left that organization on bad terms recently. Yes, you know, a lot of a lot of players they have that is not that is a sort of has been a dysfunctional environment. And Marquis' brother has been very professional with the Pistons this year and has really had a good season. You know, so maybe.
0: Stan Van ba- actually spoke highly of him the other day. Uh, and...
1: Yes. Yeah, and I think there's always been an undercurrent that, like, while the brothers are incredibly close, and I encourage all the listeners to, to watch. We did a, a video series on the two brothers last year that I cool. encourage everyone to watch. really. It's they're so, such a great bond. There's always been a sense in some circles that they're better off actually apart that sometimes they bring out the worst in each other. Now, obviously, being apart this year was not been good, but I, I wonder if that is something that has to do with Phoenix. And, you know, certainly Marcus has sort of flourished in his way apart. and the hope is maybe Marquise will do the same. So if you look at character, I think that would be what the Wizards would argue. And then, obviously, the legal matter is its own separate thing.
0: Well, Morse was slighted, right? Marquise... They both were sliding, took the took the deal, the, the discounted deal to stay in Phoenix, they traded his brother, he felt he slided and screwed by organization and pretty much acted that way throughout where Marcus got a fresh start somewhere else. So maybe that the, the now can get a fresh start in D C and leave that negative
1: culture in Phoenix behind. That that's the hope. I mean, but uh, there's no question that he acted unprofessionally in Phoenix. Oh years. god. I think even Totally even Jared has admitted the same and it is a sensitive game, and it's hard. It's not so easy to undo that. You know, you can't just you know the first start thing is This can be difficult, and that then we get to the part where let's say he is mentally in the right frame of mind. I mean, it's, then we talk about what he can do on the court, and that to me is its own kind of interesting enigma to unpack.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's not a good three point shooter, correct? He shoots, yeah, by he has not a, been. His, I think
1: there have been stretches where he has shown some progress, but. They have been here and far between. I think, I think even the Suns would say that he should be a better three-point shooter than he is right now. His defense is average at best? I would say very inconsistent. It, sometimes he just is it, very bad. I saw I seen instances where he's kind of locked in where he's very good. But he, there have also been a lot of situations where his effort has just been just not there at all. And that goes back to last year as well. I don't think that's just a this year thing.
0: He does seem to have a physical nature and a competitive fire, and the team emphasized this. It does seem to be real. It doesn't seem to be trumped up. Like, he does play with uh, an aggressiveness. I saw him go after a board against Miami. He kind of did a slip move that came in. I hadn't seen that out of a wizard for a while on a tip-in. Uh, so there is, there is some skills there, and he has been proven in the league. He was averaging 20 a game for the last five games on an Earl was- Watson system. Before the Wizards acquired him, so there has been some recent success with him too. It's not like you're trying to completely redo a player who just completely lost it, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's an important point to point out. Hey, he's a tough guy. I mean, he's a he's a real. I think Mark Schengortz called him what a saucy. Uh, yes, yes, player, saucy, yes, yes. Which is an excellent way of describing. it. I mean, those Phoenix teams, for what it's worth they I wouldn't say they were particularly technically proficient in terms of, you know, the offense they ran, but those guys went at you. They were really they were really tough. They did not back down from anyone. They got into you know, I wouldn't say fights, but they got into skirmishes, you know, they talked a big game. They really stepped on your neck. And I think a lot of that was Marquise Morris and, you know, there's some other players who have that personality. I think Marquise Morris and Marcus Morris, that was their personality for sure. And I think one of the things that I think the organization must think is that, you know, you look at the surrounding talent that they had this year. They had some players who had pretty good year. You look at Dudley, you look at, I think Ramon Sessions had a pretty good year. I think Garrett Temple's had a pretty good year. I think Otto Porter, after a rough maybe first five or six weeks, has had a really good year. Certainly Wall has had a good offensive year. I think Laura Todd has looked pretty good recently. But they don't have – they haven't had, I think, that toughness that Paul Pierce has brought them last year. Whatever that manifests itself, they haven't really had that. They've had too many games where they've taken off, too many kind of times where they've been outfought. And the hope, I think, is that Marquise Morris brings a level of that beyond what he does on the court. And it's an interesting parallel to when they traded for Nene. A couple years ago, Nene is a similar, I would say, personality type uh, to Mark Keith, He's a big, strong guy that his toughness is probably good 65, 70% of the time, and it maybe gets him into trouble the other 30%, and you wonder where it is. I think it's a similar kind of disposition with Mark Keith, and the hope is that he will kind of help change the team's personality for the better. Do, do
0: you think that the reaction of fans negatively. Is because Ernie Griffo. If it was Ernie Griffo still making this decision, like if it was if it was GM Bob that you don't know, and he makes this move, would there be such a negative reaction, or would people be more reasonable? Is it because I feel I, I think you're, that any move Ernie made, no, no, I'm because I feel that's how I mean I have that in myself as a fan, but when I try to analyze this on the merits of being fair, I can kind of see. I think it's it's a risk, but I don't think it's a huge risk because. His contract's decent. They can still trade him if he's terrible. There is a mentorship program going on, and he has a lot to prove here. So, and he's fairly young, like we discussed. So if, even if it goes to shit and they need to get rid of him, it is isn't a huge financial commitment, a huge asset they gave up. You know, there was some protections. But I can see the point where another fan is like, Ernie again, trading away a pick, again, right? To clean up his own mess, again, yeah. again. Right, and, and so that's where what happens if it all goes to shit and fans, you know, whereas the Wizards miss the playoffs and have to give up their pick, right? And, and yeah, that, that is a possibility. Uh, hopefully, not a huge possibility, but I, 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 do you do you understand where they come from in that sense? Like, if, do you believe that if it's a different I think, GM, I that think you're he, right.
1: I think yeah. there's something to what you're saying. I mean, I think there certainly is because I think we've seen this kind of trade before as well. <laughs> yes, and you yes. know, to be to be quite honest, a lot of these kind of moves have worked out fairly well. You look at Gortat move worked out well actually. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean obviously you can't assume you can't assume that the Wizards would have picked Tyler Ennis. I mean there's some good players that catch up on. True. Him. That's true. Gortat is on a pretty good contract, but he also you know, he also did give him a five year deal. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's something to that. I think Part of the frustration, I think, stems from the fact that they're in this situation in the first place, where, and I think, like I was saying earlier, you know, the one, the initial reaction I had was just like, this is a a stop, stop digging situation, you know. This is like, you're in a hole, and the worst thing you can do in some ways is to kind of keep digging. And it is, you're right that it's one of those risks that, you know, is kind of mitigated by the contract. It's, I suppose, mitigated by the protection on the pick, although I mean seeing if you're getting that pick, the windows aren't jumping in the top nine. Mm. I mean, that's there's no there's gonna to be too many teams to jump. Like I don't plus that kind of rolls over. So it's I mean certainly they're not they're not giving up like they taking the draft like they did for yes. any point like Miller, I yes. suppose. You know. But um I think it's just that you're in this situation in the first place and it is a character risk and a game risk. I mean it's certainly a character risk. And while it doesn't kill your hopes of Kevin Durant this summer or another big agent, it does, you know, that's your free agent signing basically. And I think it's good value, but maybe that $8 million could have been put to better use, you know, if things really go wrong. So I think it is a risk. I think it's one of those, like, going back to what I was saying, do you want to chase good, good money, bad, good money after bad at this point, you know, or is it just better to kind of take your lumps, you know, reset, kind of, take a step back and kind of not, like, you're under such pressure. You've got to do what like, this move to kind of help you this year. And I think, I think Ernie, to spread the trade is they need the team needed a jolt. And they probably do need a jolt, but I always get worried when that's the logic of a trade, right? To me, that's it's almost like you're asking the wrong question. <laughs> I don't think a trade should be about providing that kind of, like a jolt to a team. I think a trade should be about, does this make our situation better? You know not just for the next 30 games but also for the next three or four years and maybe it does, and that maybe is just how he wanted to describe it in a way that was easy for a soundbite and easy for the public to understand and that's that's fine but I, I don't know to me that' that worries me when that's the logic of trade you know what i mean well it's,
0: it's, it's similar to when some, the in the, being in favor of the trade is saying well they're gonna they're gonna mess up the pick anyway. <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I like, hate that. Locker. <laughs> like, I get it. Like, is is you know, it's not like okay, right now the fourth, the fourteenth pick is Furkan Koma's shooting guard, eighteen years old. Is he going to play in the next couple of years for Randy Whitman? Probably not, right? Okay, I get it. Like, I get that argument. Like, you will probably be good. Or, or the other argument where, hey, if they, if they, whoever they're going to draft, say 15, 14, 16, or whatever,
1: isn't going to play anyway. Right,
0: which is another um, bad logic I
1: hate too. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, that's like basically that's like there's a there's a problem. That's a bigger problem. The player is being ignored in that mm. logic. I, I'll also say while you're on the topic of like the the value of a pick, I hope that nobody looks at this and says, "Well, the the Suns took this dude and this guy's useless, and that's why the trade works out." No, what the Suns do with the pick is irrelevant now. The pick is gone. Whether that pick turns into Kawhi Leonard or Joe Alexander, the pick is gone. What they do has no bearing on how you view this trade. You know, the, the Wizards aren't necessarily picking those guys. They're not necessarily developing them the same way. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's irrelevant, Like right? So the fact that he's got Tyler Ennis with the 18th pick in the dwarf, that trade, to me, is sort of irrelevant. I mean, in, in, a, in a broad sense, I suppose, it illustrates the value of that pick in general, but... You know, there's some good players there to that are picked around that area. I mean, Rodney Hood, we saw the other night, who I think is a party all-star in Utah. He was picked around that area. what if he took Rodney Hood, that? is that now suddenly a bad trade? I think that's, that's poor logic.
0: Well, what upsets me, too, is my initial reaction as well to the trade, is that once again, they don't have a pick. And they don't. I mean, once they give this pick to Phoenix, they won't have a pick in this draft. So they'll have no picks in the 2016 draft. They had no picks in the 2014 draft. They traded up a pick, uh, to get Kelly Oubre last year. And that's why they don't have their second rounder this year. So, in this team, it still hasn't won 50 games. It's one thing if you are on the cusp of a title. You're on the cusp of contending. You're, you're in the, you're making the noise. And, you know, like Cleveland, great example of Cleveland, right? Where you're trading away these picks because you're, you know, you're a player away. What's the matter with the future? Your window's now, and I feel like it's just not good f- structure of a franchise just to be trading out a draft when you really haven't accomplished that much besides winning two playoff series, first round of playoff yeah. series, right?
1: I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I agree with you on the value of ticks. I think uh, you look ahead, and these are this is what we're the organization that makes it possible to have yes. a little crack at the apple. I think. I think you're right on that. I I suppose the, the counter argument is just that, you know, look, it's not like Marquise Morris is 33 with a max contract, right? It's not yes. like it's Dwight Howard or Ryan Anderson. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, for the next three years should provide better, I mean, potentially better value even with his higher salary as a draft pick than a draft pick would. And so, it's still you still have some sort of an infrastructure. That would be the counter argument. And I, I think there's there's something to that. You know, I my my thought is I'd rather draft those people. But I think yes. there is the counter argument I think is a fair one as well. I think the bigger the bigger kind of question here is just like, is this the guy you want to risk that on? And I hope the answer is yes and I understand the reasons why he might be. I'm just I'm just worried that with the combination of his his character concerns so far, and it's just the enigma of his game that he has all these talents that if he ever put it together, he would be a hell of a player, but he just hasn't done that consistently over the course of his career. And at this age, I think you're just going to have to live with the fact that sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. That, to me, I'm not sure that's the guy I want to gamble that much on. And I guess we'll see how it plays out. You know, gambles implies that. Sometimes it'll work and sometimes it doesn't. So if it works, certainly this will look like a good trade. You
0: know, just, I'm, just, I'm so sure. Yeah, I, I agree. So let's move. The trade is done, it's never coming back. So, what I, I, I think is the most important facet now is how does he fit in with this team? Is he a starter? Is he going to start at four, have Dudley come off the bench? How does he fit with John Wall? Where is his game? I know you have watched him a lot, and you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but how do you see him fitting in and meshing with this, this team over the next
1: few months? I think he should start the before. I think it's important for if the Wizards to sort of establish something close to the basket early in games. I think it's worth having him in there to do that. I think I would like to see him play a lot of minutes with Dudley, and I also think that this, you know, Dudley is, obviously, I love Jared Dudley. I think has been great for the Wizards. He does so many things. I think he probably still is better playing 25 to 30 minutes a game than 35. And I also think that Dudley is such a chameleon that he can play with almost any player. So playing off the bench takes advantage of that kind of ability to play with a lot of different combinations. So I would probably start Morris. I would like to see Morris play a five with Dudley some. I think two years ago he played a lot of fives with and Fry. And I thought he, he had a very good time doing that. And I think maybe last year, as things have gone on, he's gone to the four a little more often. And where his, you know, lack of shooting range and his kind of propensity to have the ball on the block is a little bit mitigated when he's the five. I'd like to see that a little bit. Um, yeah, as far as what his game is, I mean, that's the thing. He can do a lot of things. I think he, when last he's a really good defender, I think he's a really good kind of... Catch the ball in a short roll and dish player. I think in late in games he's proven to be a strong clutch performer on the block. Yeah. But he's he's burned just, the, he, he, he burned the the wizards off. a
0: couple of, he, he, he burned the wizards a couple of times over the years too.
1: Yeah, and, and and it's because he his bread and butter is you know it's hard to prevent him from taking like a 15 footer. He just takes many of them. But you know late in the game when you know it's tougher to get good shots that's that can be a higher than how He play. He just takes, I think, some poor shots. I think he makes poor decisions sometimes. I think his defensive effort just is not there all the time, especially in transition. You know, you can probably pull off about half a dozen clips of him just, like, loafing back on defense this year. You know, it's just, it just, if you can focus him and do what he's good at, then you can have a great player. But, you know, no team has really been able to figure that out yet. So, you're just gonna have, I think you're gonna have to take the give with the bat at this point.
2: Uh, Mm -hmm. he's also not a great
1: rebounder. I think that's, not, he's not like a bad rebounder, but I don't think he's particularly great. You know, but if you get him into a role where he's that high post, kinda, maybe, you know, on block a few, 10 to 12 times a game, maybe less, he's also making plays in pick and roll situations. And he is trying a little harder on defense. Then you got a hell of a player there, but mm-hmm. it, it takes—it's going to be interesting to see if you get that for you to also get some a the bad, um, you know. And that's the question.
0: Well, now the, this trade—the op- one benefit of the trade as well is that it opened up a, a, a roster spot for the Wizards. They have one, a fourteen filled. There's fifteen roster spots. They have, they still have this disabled player exception granted from the league due to the injury to March L. Webster. It expires on March 10th. This means that the Wizards have a little bit more money, uh, to, to, available to them, but also, I, I think they are a million, they're, they're almost to the luxury tax, I believe. So, they they have a little bit, they have a little bit more money, but not all of it. So they can use a million, I believe, of it to stay out of the luxury tax you know more about this disabled right. player exception? I think I described it pretty well.
1: I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's I, get... I think that's the thing. They're, they're close to a larger test, so I wouldn't expect a world beer at this point. So, yeah. So so I what, mean, a couple what are years the ago, they to... got through good, in and that helped them, so maybe they can do that again.
0: Will Bynum helped him last year, win a game. <laughs> that's
1: true, he did. Yeah, I mean, he did. thinking um, are slim. I wouldn't get your hopes up too high. Uh I think they I maybe could use one more front court player, but I'm not sure. I mean, I guess maybe they can sign someone like a J.J. Hickson, or I think Chris Copeland's about to get bought out. Don't want to see Andrea Bargnani on this team. I mean, we're talking about guys <laughs> who I don't think are going to really help them that much. So, uh, yeah, you no, know, I no, guess no, Mike, you had the list. Dave, Dave, you're good for.
0: Yeah, David Lee, Andrew uh, Bargnani, Steve Novak. I guess he just signed with the Bucks. J.J. Hickson. And Chris Copeland, this is uh, courtesy of J.J. Michael of uh, CS, C.S. Washington. Yeah, I don't know about any of those. I would say maybe J.J. Hickson on some type of cheap deal. So, they, you know, if and and Nene get in foul trouble, they they don't want to go small
1: too much. Maybe they get some fouls. That's all I got. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a nice little thing. But, you know, they've had success with this in the past, but I, I would keep their hopes pretty low. Not sure we're looking at a particularly robust market for buyout players. I mean, David Lee appears to be going to Dallas at this point. So, and not that I think it would really help the Wizards that much. And, Andre Blatch, or is he, is he too signed?
0: I saw that he was doing well in China. <laughs> yeah, he's available. Is he playing in a, Is he playing in, where, in China or the Philippines? Was it the Philippines or China? Maybe, oh no, maybe it's the Philippines. Maybe that's it. I saw that he was in the finals of something. <laughs> so he, Someone was like, "Is that really still- a leak?" Someone thought it was like an onion link I shared. I was like, no, it's a
1: real link. He's <laughs> you know, he's nationalized for the Filipino national team. He, they love him over there. So, uh, yeah, okay,
0: sure. Yeah, I, yeah I, I say the odds of that happening are negative 0%. Uh, so so as to fans, the other question I ask people, you've kind of touched on you've mentioned a little bit, just what are the chances of this team really making a postseason? Because obviously they're all in, because we've debated whether or not they're going to be buyers or sellers, or maybe stay in Pat. I advocated for staying pat. I, To me, given it was the pick, Uber or Porter, I did not want to get rid of, especially for a rental. Obviously they made a different decision to get rid of the pick for someone that was kind of tied up on the contract like we discussed. But, so they don't go that route, so now that means they're all in on the postseason, Correct. What are the chances here? You mentioned the schedule, the teams. How? What is your feel on the likelihood of this team really making the postseason? And what is their ceiling now at this point? Or is that still the degree
1: tournament and we're in late February? <laughs> well, I mean, the East is still jumbled, um, but there are a lot of teams to jump. I think it sounds like it's is fading a little bit. It, Orlando does not feel like they're going to be able to make up the ground but Charlotte's playing very well, Indiana's playing well, and Chicago is fading too. I think I would still put the chances at less than 50-50 that <laughs> they end up making it in. And, but on the flip side, if they make it in, right, okay, let's say they get to seven. I mean, their two seed right now is Toronto, and they know how to, they know what they've done against Toronto in the past. Correct. So, I think their logic is like, you know, whatever, like, one through seven, we just gotta get there. And the only team that we really hear is Cleveland, so, I don't know. I, I think I think uh, it'll take maybe in a week. I'll have a better idea. Sometimes teams come out of the break and just kind of have play stinkers, play way above their heads right out of the break. So we'll see. But you know, I would still probably put in less than fifty fifty that they make it. Yeah, they're
0: currently in tenth place with twenty nine losses. They're one and a half games back of Detroit. They are three games back of Chicago, but only. Yeah, three games back in Chicago, uh, and three three games back in Chicago and Charlotte, who are tied for seventh and eighth. So yeah, and they play Chicago. They have next Chicago week. on yeah. Wednesday too. Yeah. Big, big yeah. game on Wednesday at Chicago. Yeah, that is, and I think that will go for. Uh, and they also have the tiebreaker now versus Detroit, which could be key coming down the stretch. If if, if some of those teams, play. I feel like Chicago is going to completely fall off if Butler is not back. Atlanta Atlanta's at 31-26, so the Wizards are only three games behind them in the loss column at fifth, fifth fifth, place, even though they do have a few more games to make up. So this isn't instrumentally behind. I keep saying this every podcast, but a lot of things maybe have to fall into place for them as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Uh, and look, if they play the way they did in those two home games defensively, I think they're going to get there. And I think they might be dangerous in the playoffs, but we'll have to see if that effort can be sustained. No positive momentum has been sustained this year so far. Yeah, I, I agree. You, you, you've you
0: expressed your love uh, for Jared Dudley throughout this podcast. I know that you wrote uh, a really good piece on him recently. Just tell the people what you what you found out and what you kind
1: of analyzed about uh, Mr. Dudley. Yeah, well Dudley was uh, one of 12 players to make what I call the uh, filmer mall start team, which is kind of the best role players in the NBA this year. We kind of look at players who don't have a large share of the offense or they don't play more than a little over half the game. And Dudley was actually the last of the 12 to make it. He was kind of the last one that I put on there. Uh, But I think... Everybody who's seen him has seen all the different things he's able to do. He's a great shooter. He's such a tremendous passer. He's so clever in those pick-and-slip, pick-and-roll situations. Uh, He does some really smart things defensively, position-wise. He's really good at hedging out. Just makes a lot of those little plays, you know. It's a cliche, but one of the points of the piece was to sort of kind of illustrate what those little things actually are. And the Wizards have consistently been a better team he's on the court, and that's not just a single year trend. The Bucks were the same way last year. You know, even though they had more accomplished players ahead of him, or we've hired high players ahead of him, when he was in the game, they were a significantly better team. He just makes everybody better with all the, the small, the few things he does. And of course, yes, he has limitations. That's why he's you know not a superstar. But you know, he just. He does so many of the kills in so many gaps. He's such a great shooter, uh, which is a very, and not just like a three-point shooter, he's a very good mid-range shooter as well. Uh, and he's very clever with those passes around the basket. he's a great screen, and he's totally selfless. I mean, winning teams have players like that, and it was a great move to get him. And I think he should play quite a bit as a four uh, this season, and because they're just a much better team when he's on the court. No, it's funny. After the Detroit game,
0: I asked him a, a question. So he had blocked two blocks again for like the third straight game. So he had six blocks in the, in the three previous games and, and had six total in the 49 before that. So I asked him and, you know, he, so, I'm, you know, everyone's laughing and I'm thinking of a laughing answer and he basically kind of breaks it down. He was like, you know, our defense pretty much how it's structured. The guy on the weak side gets over, and he comes over, and it's set up to, you know, we're not trying to foul. The guy on the weak side is able to get a couple. I was like, wow, what an intellectual answer. It was like a complete intellectual answer that was breaking down from a schematic reason why he's got a few more. Because then he made a joke to say, you know, obviously it's not because of, you know, being athletic. (laughs) Kind of like self-deprecating of himself. But it was like, wow, he was funny, gave me a, a really analytical answer. Uh, throughout that, instead of, you know, you know, the normal answer would be like, oh, man, it's getting lucky, getting a couple or something. You know what I mean? But <laughs> like, like he was like. Right, yeah. He's
1: <laughs> incredibly, incredibly smart player. He's a lot like what Shane Batty was for the Miami team, I think. It's a very similar type of role that Dudley
0: plays for this team. Yeah, like always kind of knows what's happening. And a good quote. A good locker room guy, and hopefully now I'm we'll have to keep him with Marquise Morris. we'll have to re-sign him to to, to to be his mentor, I guess, right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Did did you? Say, yeah, that was a great move. If, did, if, did, if the Wizards had 11 other players with Dudley's disposition, I think they would be in a much better position than they are right now.
0: Where, so, how do you when you come across these film all stars? Like, what are what are the things you're
1: kind of looking for? Well, I think you look for players who contribute in ways that are not so obvious. You know, not they're not big scorers. I think a lot of these players, it's very contextual what their role is. I think versatility is a very important theme. You know, you don't want to have you don't need you don't want three players to play to fill the roles when you have one guy who can do all of it. You look at someone like a Serge Ibaka who just can do so many different things. You can't play eight guys at once, so you need you need one guy to do a lot of those things. Just Players that help the team win in ways that are not super obvious when watching them and kind of able to quanti- quantify and qualify the cliches
2: mm-hmm. is a
1: big key to this. Uh, I think that's really, you look at someone like a George Hill, right, for Indiana. It's a guy that does not jump out of the page with anything he does, but he's just so able to play so many different roles for the pitches in the backcourt that they can play Ellis and kind of mask his defensive limitations and that he can play off the ball and hit spot up shots, but if you need him to run a pick roll, he can do that too. I mean, I think you look at guys who are capable of doing a lot but only do what the team needs. I think that's a very large game do you see do you see defense a uh, a key recipe to this as well? yeah, I mean it's just hard to quantify defense yeah right? i mean we we don't have the metric to do it even even the most advanced analytics would agree that is much more on offense than defense and so yeah i think when you talk about the basis of the project being players who do things you don't see or you can't measure i think uh defense is where it kind of comes into play i would say that almost everybody on that list is a very quality defensive player and certainly well above average well, you
0: mentioned earlier someone that was playing defense I got three fouls real quickly, uh, Mr. Kelly Oubre last night. What have you seen out of the rookies game? And there is a movement that I've been trying to uh, lead, uh, a very faint movement or maybe just using a hashtag and, and with some bitter wizard Twitter fans a free Kelly Oubre of getting him more similar to the free Otto porter to the free, you know, go down the list, Mike. You, you know, you know, all the players down, down the, down the years. What have you seen out of Kelly's flashes and how much this, is how much merit do we actually have to be like? Hey, he should be earning some more PT over Gary Neal and Drew Gooden, and some you know, especially on three games and three nights.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you've seen flashes of real defensive potential. Uh, you've seen some athleticism. It seems like he wants to get his nose uh, in the middle of the action. He's still just very frail. Uh, doesn't have the strength, and his shooting has got to improve. And I think his passing has gotten improved. So I think there was a time when they were more banged up where he was playing pretty well, and it was a missed opportunity to kind of reward him for some of the work he was doing. At this point, though, with what their goals are, with all the players that are coming back, I mean, Allen Anderson is about to come back, and I think he deserves the minutes. So where is Kelly going to play? I mean, the guys you talk about with Neil and Good, I mean, those guys are going to have their minutes cut anyway. So. It's hard for me to see exactly where he fits in at this point. I think they may have – there was a chance a little while back when there were more injuries to kind of give him more of a run that they missed. And that, I think back then, maybe was more merited to ask for him to play. At this point, though, with them in the middle of the playoff run and with so many other players there, it's tough for me to see where he should get his minutes.
0: Yes, I agree there was a time where – Temple, Beal, I mean Temple, Neil, Gooden, you could have found some more minutes there for Kelly than there was, but now with Anderson coming back, Beal back, it's kind of a harder argument yeah. to make. It's kind of a harder argument to make currently now. It just was it was disappointing to see a young kid get a chance, play actually play decent defense with Whitman would always say, Hey, you gotta play defense. And yes, his shooting was could improve. You did see some improvement and you did see that he seemed like he wanna belong, and his team really lacked athleticism. And that was my all main thing. This team is, you know, aside from John Wall, isn't that athletic at all. And and I thought that he gave some good energy at times, obviously. He, and and you want to see him get rewarded for good play. And then to also have an asset to be like, oh, look at this guy. He's showing some promise. And maybe if you want to move him for an upgrade in the offseason, you do. You know, and that's what that's what sometimes that, that's what upsets me uh, with, with, with how this team is structured
1: uh, sometimes. Yeah, they had chances, and I, I think it would have been nice to see him get rewarded a little bit. But at the end of the day, he's still, what, 19, 20 years old? Yeah, 20, He's still the yeah. bright future, I think. And so many of the guys that are in front of him now are going to be out of contract this summer, so he's going to have his chances. I'm not terribly worked up over it at this point. Yeah, I agree. So so I want to end
0: on, on the future of this franchise, uh, Mr. Mike. I know you got some things, got some things to do, so maybe a basketball to go watch. What... Just where are we now with this team? Because this is what Kyle wrote uh, to end his uh, Marquis Morris, uh, Mr. Kyle we for truth about it, uh, most of you are well aware. He basically ends his piece on the Marquis Morris trade with, this is, quote, team owner Ted Leosis will have run out of excuses, or this he says, okay, the Wizards have made a move to improve their now while still generally being caretakers of their futures. Okay, sure, the pick, it's gone. And for that, it's hard to fault them too much. If it doesn't work out, it will be easy to place blame. Team owner Ted, Lee instance, will have run out of excuses or reasons to keep the team's front office and coaching staff intact. He'll be able to clean house while maintaining a roster of all-star talent, John Wall and Bradley Beal, promising youth in Otto Porter and Ubre Morris aside, and the flexibility to really and truly move his franchise forward. His sense was basically, all right, you're going to risk for this postseason. If this doesn't work out, it's time to clean house and that there's no real excuses. How – where are we at with all that? Do do you think – where do you see, if they miss the playoffs, everyone's gone. If they make the playoffs and lose, do they bring Whitman back? Does Where does Ernie come? How much does Kevin Durant play in all this? Beal's extension is looming. Where where are your feelings on just kind of where this this franchise is uh, sitting
1: currently? Well, I mean, stability has been the M.O. for a while. I think with women's contracting up, it's a good opportunity. This is kind of why I didn't want them to really do Part of the reason why I didn't want them to kind of throw away any future assets in a trade, it was just Let a, a new good coach. reset moment. Let a new guy yeah, or I mean, new coach it, come
0: in with that instead, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a good reset moment. I mean, you have so many players whose contracts expire. You have a lot of veterans who are on their last legs, but at the same time you have uh, some young pieces on the rise with Deal, with Otto, with <laughs> Rubric. Uh, it's a good opportunity to kind of be in that second phase of John Wall's career, and now you're at the point where you have to really prove it to him, because you're on the clock as soon as he signs that five-year extension to kind of get somewhere, and this was a good opportunity, I think, to really push a mini reset and kind of move the team to the next phase, Yeah, you know, and I think making the playoffs actually helps the goal in some ways. It makes your organization a little more attractive to whatever, free agents, a new coach, whatever it is. I think that does make a difference. So that's what's above behind the trade. Um, but, yeah, I think it's probably a good time. I mean, with women's contract being up, it's a good time to kind of look at different coaching options. It's a good time to kind of, you know, have many roster spots you have to fill. I mean, no draft takes now to do it. And, you know, you have how many players in the contract? Like five or six? Yes, yeah. So, and a big part of that you're relying on is the money you have in free agency, which unfortunately everybody has money. But you know maybe you can separate yourself with a good with a run to the playoffs. So yeah, I, I think this is a, this is a huge summer for them, regardless of what they did at the deadline. And I I don't think that this trade alone should make or break what you do this summer. The success of this trade or not. I mean that's to me that's kind of where you get into trouble where the idea of having a trade say, trade that saves a GM's job I think is just very difficult to to kind of think about. I mean, we've been in that situation before, and whatever job it saves, it only is temporary. I mean, I don't think that's how the organization should be thinking. I'm not saying that's how they are thinking, but I think it has to be you have to evaluate the situation as a whole rather than kind of, make or break your situation out of 31 games, you know, I think that's dangerous so this is a big summer for them regardless of who's in charge of it and it's really big because looming is just the future of John Wall he's still several years left but now you are in a situation where you have to get serious about having a really strong contender you've kind of built the bridge step to this point but now you really have to take that step and, and I think it's going to be difficult for them because so many teams have cap room and because they have so many roster spots to fill and because they're now down another asset. I think, like a future asset, I think it's going to be a challenge and it's going to be interesting to see how they play it out. I I don't think this trade should is really the reckoning. That I don't know if Kyle is suggesting that it's a reckoning. I, I, I don't think this trade is a reckoning. I think this summer is a reckoning for the franchise, whoever's in charge of it. No, I, I agree. I think he was just more like,
0: hey, you're saying you're in win now now and, you know, win mode now. And if you're not going to win mode, you, you know, right. if, you, if you miss it, then you, you there's what more is there to say? Like, you have to change everyone. Like, there's no more stability arguments, yeah. right?
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, I think you're always in win now mode. I mean, I think that's, that's sort of the fallacy of the win now versus build for the future mode is that sometimes winning is the best for your future. Mm-hmm. Especially in this area where everybody's got cap room and everybody's got a good market. You know, it really is about, like, is for free agents and for attracting talent at any time, whether it's coaching talent or player talent or any of that, it really is about, is this an organization that is can win? Is this an organization that I can trust? And so, actually, I think win now mode helps your future. The question is whether this move actually helps you even win now, I think, and, and whether the winning that you may be doing now is kind of be fleeting, or whether it's really something that you can sustain, I think that's that's the concern I would have, and maybe that's what Kyle is suggesting. But so I don't so know, me. So
0: you know what you're showing. No, I think what you're touching on too is as much as everyone's focused on Kevin Durant, right? We're all focused: does he come to DC? Does he not? If he doesn't come, who? What are the players going to use in the cap space? And you're kind of alluding to, if they mess this up, John Wall could be piecing out here in a few years.
1: Correct? Yeah.
0: I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Because, like, what other argument would they have? What they
1: you have? do now really sets that up, I think, is what I'm saying. I mean, that, that to me is... I mean, New Orleans is going through a similar dilemma with Anthony Davis, and they have more years left. But, you know, what you do in the first couple of years after you sign a guy to that kind of rookie extension sets you up for how, you know, for the next contract that's coming up. And... In many cases, that's the one you really have to risk, because that's when the player is totally unrestricted, you know. It's sort of a formality to keep a, a talented player off their rookie deal. The real question is, what do you do once they're finally fully unrestricted? Oh,
0: well, that third the third deal, right? The, the deal after Yeah, I mean, right?
1: and, and what you do, and this summer is a key summer for kind of building that future, and... You know, John was going to make his decision based in three or four years. Wait, is he a three years left? Four years left? Yeah, three, I think. Right. Yeah, whatever. Whenever he makes a decision, he's going to base it on what happens and where he feels that this franchise is going. Like, do they experience like if second round is kind of the best you do, like what you do last year? I think that's dangerous for for John Wall's future, and that's why the summer is such a big deal. And I, I can understand given sort of the stagnation of the team at this point might might be where having to get the people in charge of that feature and that is gonna be an interesting decision. I don't I just don't think that what happens in the next thirty games should make or break that decision. I think if you that's that to me is where the trade becomes starts to become a concern if it sort of sort of creates this culture and in this kind of situation where that's that's kind of the difference is what happens in the thirty games after a midseason trade. I think you have to kind of consider the whole picture and not place too much of an emphasis on a short-term stretch. That would be the concern.
0: Well, I mean,
1: I mean, to actually look at it to make a negative
0: argument is, you know, the team still hasn't won 50 games. They underachieved last regular season slightly. They won they won two good playoff series against the Bulls and the Raptors. And there may be a John Wall injury from going to the finals, and that's what we're kind of honing our, our hopes on. But everything else, this team has been pretty damn mediocre. Right, I mean, I mean, this. Yeah, has been, I mean, it's been. If you look back, you, I, 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 I think in the last hundred regular season games, they're like below 500. I mean, it is. This has not been some. You know, they've had the success that we as fans are happy about because we haven't had this much success as a franchise in the history. Right, so we're. But if you look at it holistically, be like, okay, well, you know, what structures are in place for this franchise? Like, what huge moves are they making? To, to build on, you know, this five, ten-year run of John Wall's prime where they're knocking at the door, right, of the top
1: four, top eight teams in the league. Right, yeah. I mean, when you certainly the, they have yet to achieve what I think everybody, every management team would want to achieve. So, yeah, I, I, given that, I, I understand the anxiousness of this current regime when you consider this, the, the senior management team has been in place for a long time. So, But even thinking in terms of a big move, I think, is kind of dangerous. I mean, you look at, like, if Durant leaves Oklahoma City, I don't think it's going to be out of anything that the Thunder really did wrong, other than the Harden trade, perhaps, and the lack of return they got there. I think they just built a good team slowly, bit by bit. They have players like Adams and Campaign that have they've just kind of added to that and developed. And so it's not just just having a big move. It's like kind of building that infrastructure, and that's what this summer is going to be all about. That's the infrastructure that's going to kind uh, of carry Walt through the
0: next part of his contract. So do you? So then they have to resign Bradley Bill to to a max extension. That seems like that. has to yeah, be Yeah, I think one. I think so. I mean,
1: I think that that's kind of a given. That's already you don't he's deal, there, right? I'm kind of concerned, but like what? What are you realistically going to, like, it's, you can sign him after you use your cap space. So it's not like you're, you're, the opportunity cost is cap space.
2: You know?
1: And, and it's not like they're going to get significant out. I don't think they're going to get anything to trade that's worth more than Bradley Deal, even on the next contract. So to me, that, that to me, I think is a no brainer. I think you kind of have to do that. And then what, what is plan B if, if Kevin Durant doesn't come here? And Horford doesn't come here? Well, I mean, I think you just kind of go down the free agent line, but, I, I you know it's a good question. I think you know you have to start thinking about it because remember cap space isn't just about free agents. Maybe you start thinking about using that as a vehicle for a trade. Yeah. You know, and maybe that's something to kind of consider. I I think that's that's it's going to be interesting to see how they play that because they do have to use that space on a lot of players, it, and that's why that's why I was kind of a little concerned with this plan for the jump is that everybody's going to have cap space, so just having the money. Is not going to be the difference. The difference is going to be how good do people trust your organization. And I think that is part of the reason why they made this trade for Marquise Morris. I feel like this will give them a better chance to win right now. And making the playoffs makes your organization more attractive. And that is a, I think that's a fair goal. I just, I'm just wondering if this trade really does
0: make them a lot better. Well, selling selling to Kevin Durant and not to come here and not making the playoffs, and Kevin Durant wants to win a title, would be a pretty damn impossible sell. Even though I already think it's going to be a really tough yeah. one. It's going to be a tough one anyway. But that's pretty much. I don't know how you do that. Like, hey, come here. We didn't make the playoffs last year, but we're going to win the title with you. Because I think there is still that's an right. argument that is an argument that we could say, hey, aside from Cleveland, Wizards can be number two next year with Kevin Durant. Why not? Right. And why can't they beat Cleveland? And then yeah, okay, then, but, yeah, like, but like, but like, but the can Warriors they win the title, The other right?
1: teams going Kevin Durant. Correct, correct. If join the Wizards to be second in the East, or join the best team in the last twenty years. Well, for sure. Oh, I mean, if it's
0: the Wizards or Warriors, I mean, we're going to fight. T- I mean, hopefully, the hometown thing is the one that keeps them. That is the. Obviously, there's a lot of factors. If it's just town yeah, definitely you'd go to the Warriors over everyone, right? Yeah.
1: But, but, but I'm yeah, saying, yeah, like, I, I, I think the hometown team thing is actually a negative. You think, it, it's, it's, a ne- I think, think it's a negative? How I, so? I think a lot of these players want to get away from their hometowns. They just have too many people that they're trying to, they have to account for when they're in these places. I think it's actually quite a burden to play in your hometown in a lot of cases. Yeah.
0: Well, how, how about him wanting to bring a title to his hometown? You don't think that's that overplayed
1: by the whole Iran? I I, thing? Like, I don't. I don't know what motivates Duran. I'm just saying that yeah. I think. I think it's very possible that the hometown thing is a negative. All right. Well.
0: Well. well cool. Well. Hey. You know. We basically said John Wall might leave and Kevin Durant's not coming. What? A, what? A, what? A, what a fans gonna be loving this podcast. <laughs>
1: yeah. No. Is there any pop- a happier? a happier thought? It's a lot better than what it was. Twenty years ago. Yes,
0: yes, yes. Did, did, you, did you get a chance to, to read Adam Rubin's piece on the bullets? My chance. I did. a yeah, whole I I I I podcast about it. Yeah. What was your memory? Yeah, your te- a piece. What was your takes on it?
1: I mean, it was the first, I, that was the first team that caused me to fall in love with basketball. I
2: yeah. mean, we
1: bullets, huh? I used to go to yeah, I used to go to fifteen games a year, sitting in the one hundred sessions, and do the father something, and that was. You know, my favorite team to watch. It was so much fun, and I had such a great time at games. I think I was nine or ten at the time, and I went to game three of that series. is still probably one of my all time great sports memories. Yeah, wow! Know being at you're... that game with that with that atmosphere. So what a lucky uh, that, what a lucky that, bounce that. too! What what a lucky
0: bounce that Jordan. I mean, Jordan lost the ball. Right, it goes up in the air. It somehow, yeah. Pippen, Pippen
1: ends up with it. <laughs> yeah, Jawan Howard didn't jump and Hardy Granton rotate over. Still, still, still annoys me to this day. <laughs> Did Rod Strickland maybe should have shot
0: that? I don't know. He seems like he was cut off. I don't know. He, he talks about he, in his interview.
1: He said that he should have shot that shot instead of passing to cheney Chaney. That was a good shot by Cal. I just. Well, I'm getting started about Harvey Grant's non-rotation on that. Oh, okay. That. Well, Weber fouling, so out. Weber,
0: fouling, Weber fouling out to me seemed to be the the reason that everything kind of went to shit there at the end. You know, aside from
1: the whole Michael Jordan, yeah. Scottie Pippen angle,
0: you know. <laughs> well, I mean, if Weber doesn't foul out, Harvey Grant's on the team. So, yeah,
1: yeah I
0: think you're right. <laughs> wow, we've just ended it on everything. Well, well, Mike, uh, any, any other projects coming up or anything, any message you have for any Wizards fans before we go?
1: Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to recover from the trade deadline, but a couple of things I hope people read, uh, the film or All-Star Series, but also Paul Flannery's story on Draymond Green. uh, it's one of the best features we've done, uh, and I, I'm not sure I have anything big planned that I can talk about right now, but, you know, keep coming to the say, we have such regular stuff, uh, and we're going to be in playoff preparation mode, and hopefully it includes wizards.
0: I I love see look at that I I love the the positive pixels we're all about the positive pixels here on this, this podcast uh, uh, but thanks thanks Mike I appreciate you uh, taking the time today to jam with me and uh, we'll be in touch soon man thanks Adam all right Take care. Uh, uh, coming up guys uh, we guys and girls guys and gals we the Wizards play Tuesday at home versus New Orleans they play at Chicago on Wednesday and they play f- at Philly on Friday. And then the Cavs on Sunday matinee, I believe that's on ABC. Uh, I have another guest lined up, another national rider who's a Wizards fan, hopefully on uh, sometime this week. But thanks, everyone, for your support. And as always, go Wiz.
2: Oh, i Now she headed east down the boulevard Duvall sure, said I like the way, said I like the way, way. say your ship now, let me be your cargo I won't wear you down No, honey, I won't wear you down Her destination But I got a feeling I need to be your passenger so you can let me be your passenger Sure, said I like the way Said I like the way yeah. You say your ship now Let me be your clock on. I won't wear you down No, honey, I won't wear you down Smooth sailing smooth, sailing yeah. smooth Smooth Darling Sweet pretty baby Won't you be my lady uh-huh. Sweet honey darling You know I'm calling I want you, for well, sure. Said I like the way, said I like the way, yeah. You sail your ship now, maybe your car will I won't wake you down, don't no, honey, I won't wake you down. Say so smooth, smooth sailing. Lady. Uh-huh. sweet honey, darling, you know I'm calling, I want you, said sure. I like the way, said I like the way, Say you your ship now, and it be your okay. wow. I, I won't wear you down, No, honey, I won't wear you down.